Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, and this is the culmination of a lot of work and a lot of parts for an iceberg. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Jimmy, you sort of brought up these iceberg theories to me. I've seen a couple in the past. But uh, we decided we should do one for House of the Dragon season one. It goes a little bit further into it, as well as some of the events in Game of Thrones. Some changes possibly to the show as they're making a connected verse there. But this was a lot of fun. We did this in three separate parts. So if you're listening on the podcast, you can view or listen to each one as is. Or you can view, listen to or view on YouTube the whole thing right here. And this was an absolute ton of fun. And the theories, they start out, you know, pretty straightforward. And then the deeper we go, the crazier they get. So let's kick it off right here with our first theory. Are the maesters working against Viserys Targaryen? A long-running theory in A Song of Ice and Fire is that the maesters have a grand conspiracy to destroy or control magic. One key moment we see in Game of Thrones is when Samuel Tarly goes to the Citadel and is essentially laughed out of the room for even bringing up the idea of White Walkers still being in existence. In the books, the maesters have also speculated to hate the Targaryens as they dislike magic and dragons. Their hatred for dragons and magic was described in A Feast for Crows, wherein Archmaester of the Citadel Marwyn the Mage stated, Who do you think killed all the dragons the last time around? Gallant dragon slayers armed with swords, he spat. The world the Citadel is building has no place in it for sorcery or prophecy or glass candles, much less dragons. So even if there is hate from the maesters towards the Targaryens, how are they moving against Viserys and House of the Dragon? Well, Hand of the King Otto Hightower, his house was integral in the building of the Citadel and still funds the institution. It is the central home for the Order of the Maesters. We've already seen the Hand of the King make King Viserys banish his brother from court in episode one of house of the dragon furthermore the king was also shown to have injured himself while sitting on the iron throne an injury that the maesters cannot heal or fix furthermore the medieval caesarean performed on the queen was also the grand maester's suggestion an event that didn't end well otto also seems to be tightening the grip on the king and making his daughter court the king and ultimately marry him after his wife's death. All of these events further indicate how Otto Hightower and the Archmaesters have weakened Viserys. He lost his wife and brother within a couple of days, and he has an incurable disease, and now they are getting closer to fully control him. One of the things that I was most excited about House of the Dragon is that as a firm believer in the grand maester conspiracy is that i felt like we were getting breadcrumbs to lead us to the conclusion that this theory just might be correct in the books we that strongly believed the grand maester conspiracy is a huge huge plot it's one of the if you just go look up the biggest game of thrones song of ice and fire theories this one is always towards the top it's been a it's been as long running as R plus L equals J. I felt like the show, because we didn't spend that much time with maesters, or at least maesters that were sort of conspiring, that we didn't get to sort of see that. It was just that one scene of Sam getting laughed at in the room. In the books, it's far more prevalent. And even in the history books, there's a lot of back and forth sort of issues with the maesters. Uh, much of 
fire and blood and, you know, world of ice and fire is told to us through these two perspectives, mushroom and, you know, an archmaester. They have back and forth accounts. And this is the, the text that they're using to adapt House of the Dragon. So you even see this like this favoritism towards certain things, right? And certain people in the books that's being used as the text to describe and ultimately create the show House of the Dragon. I think they did a great job here. And, you know, Otto's keeping Viserys as we see towards the end of the season sort of at bay with Milk of the Poppy. And it feels like there's maesters always around him, working on him. The minute that Viserys dies... The you know the maesters in the room on the small council like okay well we're just you know we're moving forward with our plans. Yeah, they were ready to go, and you know another person that throws a lot of shade at the gray rats as she calls them is Lady Dustin in A Dance with Dragons. It starts for me that was the first time it really opened up my eyes. Be like yeah you know the maesters are in a pretty interesting position here, and and we see obviously the Baratheon in House of the Dragon season one who ends up not being able to read, gives it to its maester. You know, there's a lot of power there. So I've always been very, very weary of the Maesters since finishing reading the series. And to see that this is kind of being perpetuated in the show was uh, was wonderful for me. I really enjoyed it. So I, I'm actually a believer of this conspiracy theory. Oh, as am I. I think there's a lot of evidence for it. the glass candles at the Citadel, as we see in the in the main books. Some of the theories we will be going over today, I mean, I should say, is we're in full spoiler territory. We haven't spoiled yes. anything yet. But just so you know, we will have to be, obviously, I think, in, in full spoiler territory. You know, the whole the whole thing about the Dance of the Dragons is that it's basically also kind of called the dying of the dragons. Is that this is really the height of the Targaryen dynasty and this civil war causes a lot of these dragons to die and there aren't... A, you know, many left for much longer after this. Mm -hmm. So after this, man, I feel like the Maesters begin to rise a little bit more in power too. You know, there's also the mm -hmm. faith which plays a part. So there are these sort of other organizations out there doing thing. And I think so often we just view it, especially because of the show was like, oh, it's House Lannister or it's House Stark or, yeah. you know, Tully or Targaryen or Baratheon, whoever trying to vie for power. But that's not always the case. The maesters and the faith are both strong institutions out there also vying for power. Yes, very, very important institution. And as magic leaves the world and dragons leave the world, it's these institutions that will will uh, kind of fill that power vacuum left over from that. So, um, you know, I just think they could have done a better job treating Viserys. That's all I'm saying. I saw some winks, you know, between the maesters and, uh, and Otto, and I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all, Matt. No, I don't. I don't trust. I don't trust them either. But I definitely believe uh, in the idea of the Grand Maester conspiracy, both here and House of the Dragon. If really all this did all this season one of House of the Dragon did, uh, which George has said multiple times is better than his books. So you can kind of take that for whatever canon you want. But uh, all it does is sort of add even more weight mm -hmm. to that theory. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, this is uh, like you said, this is tier one of the iceberg. So some of these might seem kind of obvious. But as we go down deeper, one, some of the stuff we have for you in the last part, folks, is absolutely insane. <laughs> like, I can't believe some people believe some of this stuff. <laughs> I can't believe people wrote articles about it on the Internet and then they got <laughs> as many views and run Reddit and as much traction as they did. But we're going to dive into them. We're going to dive into them. And, uh, it, you know, I'm just saying that to say there's a lot of things on this iceberg that I don't necessarily believe. 
Um, this is one that I do believe though. So absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to the, the next one here on tier one. Harwin Strong is the father of Rhaenyra's children. Out of everything that comes out of these conspiracies from season one, House of the Dragon, I think this has to be one of the most obvious ones that's most likely to be true. In House of the Dragon season one, we get all but exact confirmation that Harwin Strong and Rhaenyra have been romantically involved. With Laenor marrying out of duty, it is not a reach to believe Rhaenyra looked elsewhere for certain types of satisfaction. In episode six, we see some very intimate and emotional moments before Harwin is sent off to Harrenhal, ultimately to his demise. And it's all due to the facts that there are rumors swirling around the Red Keep about Rhaenyra and Harwin. Even outside of the obvious displays of affection that we see between Rhaenyra and Harwin, the biggest clue to this being true is the striking resemblance that all of Rhaenyra's children happen to have with Harwin and the Strong family in general. Dark hair, light skin, which is pretty much the polar opposite of Laenor, who is her proper husband. While this all seems, you know, obvious and confirmed, it's not totally told to us to be 100% factual. So it earns a place here in, you know, in uh, the crowd of all the theories that we're doing here on this iceberg. But if I was a betting man, I would put the house on this theory being true. Yeah. And, you know, this one is one that's like, well, we watched the show. It seems pretty obvious. But if you actually go back and you dive into the books, it's never it's sort of very. Yeah loosely alluded to it's never they actually confirmed it far more in the show than they did in the books however i will say there is a little bit of questioning uh and we'll get to possibly another theory later as we move into another step down the iceberg uh that maybe all of Rhaenyra's kids are not harwin strongs could be some could be none could be uh you know maybe maybe two of them so uh, take that uh for what you will but yes this one certainly seems obvious seems even more likely that there's if they're not harwin strongs they're very much not valerian that they're not <laughs> actually Valer valerian blood you go read the books it's it's it was just sort of like alluded to well they were close and that's kind of it yeah, and, and a lot of stuff on this iceberg deals with parentage, especially the top tiers, because there's so many questions. I mean, it's more confusing than a Peter Baelish brothel birthing center of who the father is of some of these children. And we're going to have uh, to get to the bottom of it. But you did allude to the fact that this might not be this theory might clash with one that we have a little bit further down on the iceberg. I think we'll probably get to that one in possibly part two or we might yeah, get to it today. It's in part two. Yeah. Yep. yeah so we'll get to it today. Yeah, and we're going to move right along to the final entry here on the tier one of the iceberg. Lemon Gate Easter egg theory confirmed, possibly? For many <laughs> years, fans have speculated about Daenerys Targaryen's childhood and her recollections from those days. There seem to have been consistencies in the visions that Danny has, the main one being that growing up in Braavos and seeing a lemon tree is not something that tracks. Lemon trees are not native to Braavos, which has led many to theorize that Danny was in fact not in Braavos during this time of her childhood. Fuel was definitely added to the fire when George R. R. Martin alluded to this being the case when answering a fan's question many years ago. The question from the fan went as so. Danny remembers a lemon tree outside the house with a red door in Bravos, but citrus trees shouldn't really grow in Bravos's cold, foggy climate. Is this difference significant? Does it point to future revelations about Danny's past? George R.R. Martin, always being sly, answered like this. Very perceptive of you. Yes, it does point to, well, that would be telling. 
George leaves it very ambiguous, but gives us enough breadcrumbs to send us all into theory mode. And the fandom did just that. And while we don't have an answer to the questions that are posed by this theory, we do have an Easter egg from House of the Dragon season one that gives a nod to this theory of Lemongate. Laris and Allison are talking in episode five of House of the Dragon near the site of the Weirwood tree. Laris begins to talk about how a native plant from Bravos shouldn't be able to grow in King's Landing, claiming it is an outsider among the natives. Laris is clearly playing to Allison's feelings of loneliness and seclusion, but the more important piece is that while they are having this conversation, an image is seen in the background just over Laris' shoulder that shows, yes, you guessed it, a lemon tree front and center. Ryan Condell is a huge fan of the source material and also theories from this fandom, so one has to assume this was intentionally placed and worded to give us all something to go in and rave about. Ryan Condell is a huge nerd, just like us, confirmed. The idea that Danny is actually raised in Dorn, not necessarily over in Essos. Or obviously she goes to Essos at some point. Uh, and she would be there when she's very young. I don't know. I've 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 always been sort of on the fence about this one. And mm. it's one of those that I think will ultimately get enough information in winds of winter should or if it ever comes out to see if danny does make allegiances or alliances with dorn which i think is mm -hmm. going i think dorn is going to reach out even further to her check my Aegon's crown where is Aegon's crown and where is blackfire theories i've talked about a little bit as well to get more information on that you know unfortunately game of thrones the show the first time the show ever really dipped was when they sort of introduced some of the Dorn arcs that they were going to go down and they just completely ran away from it. So it's, you know, who knows how that would have progressed had the Dorn angle been just as good as everything else. Nonetheless, the nod, it, it is certainly a nod to that theory in House of the Dragon without question. Yeah, and the first time I watched this scene, whenever Laris is talking about this Bravo Sea plant sitting there growing in King's Landing out of its element, I immediately thought of Lemongate, but I didn't actually see the picture of the lemon tree behind Laris until the next day when I rewatched it. You know, I always just look for other things, right? Other details when we're covering the show. And seeing that lemon tree, I was like, oh my God, there's no way that this is a coincidence. And I'll put on my tinfoil hat and just say, hey, Ryan Condell knows some answers to some of the things that we ask questions about. Supposedly, he knows the ending of Duncan Egg now. Uh, that, that is something he mentioned in an interview. And I always just wonder, with Winds of Winter always being so much closer every day, hopefully, to coming right. out, is Ryan Condell trying to stir up a little something for the fans to get to talk about? And maybe we'll see some answers in Winds of Winter. Uh, I just, I, if anything, you know, this is a great nod and a fantastic Easter egg. And, and, instills a lot of confidence in me that there's the right nerd making this show agreed okay well now let's dive into tier two of the iceberg things little are peak about under to get the water. a little darker a little more a little more crazy right so amond is the father of helena targaryen's children is Aemon the father of Helena Targaryen's children? In House of the Dragon, we see Aemon not only say he would perform his duty when talking about marrying his sister, he is also shown to come out of her room. He gives Jace a very discerning look when he dances with her in episode eight, and he stands by her side in many scenes, including the beast beneath the boards. It would also have huge implications and significance for an upcoming part in books 
and season two called Blood and Cheese, where Damon hires an assassin to kill one of Helena's children as a response to Luke's death. If these are now Eamon's kids, it has far more weight and significance since he will be the one viewed as killing Lucerus, also making him a kinslayer. This one is very interesting, and I am leaning towards believing the show is going to make Eamon the father of those children. I, I, I just think that enough was sprinkled in earlier, even when they're kids, like really young. I think that this might be the way that they're going to go. And it would definitely add a lot more drama to blood and cheese. No doubt. Yeah. Another thing uh, you need to think we need to think about too, is that the books when talking, it talks a little bit about Aegon being kind of promiscuous. Right. And mm -hmm. there is some favoritism from Aemon possibly towards Helena, but the show went far further with Aegon, making him almost feel like a Robert Baratheon, right? Out there just chasing brothels and serving maids and all of those, all of those things, as opposed to his wife. Well, to me, it added a lot more credibility to it simply because we see Aegon's not interested at all in her and Aemon clearly is. Then you add in the idea of now it's possibly his children it just adds so much more drama so much more weight and it goes in a very long line of this sort of undercurrent in house targaryen if you begin really diving into the tree there's actually potentially bastards that go on to be very significant yeah. players from start to finish in the targaryen dynasty it also in theory since they're not married would make Rhaenyra kind of the real true winner of the Dance of the Dragons because one of the things that happens is Rhaenyra's son Aegon the Third marries Helena's daughter and then that as the as the final pact to sort of rejoin House Targaryen. Well, if Aemon, if Rhaenyra's daughter, whose name I'm blanking on, is now a bastard then, you know, you can kind of say, well, she's not even a real true Targaryen because at the end, you kind of view it as, well, they both win in a way because mm -hmm. their kids get married and then the throne is restored. But now it's almost like, well, no, it's really only Rhaenyra that wins. And, you know, it's not blood. It's the name, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we're told in the show. Um, I think the only, the, you know, the evidence against this would be the fact that a lot of people feel like it does not track with Helena's character in the show. She doesn't seem like someone that would have an affair. But I also don't believe that she's a character that seems like she wouldn't be interested in maybe actually feeling love, which I think Eamon is probably one to provide that. It, it's not a surprise if they would end up together to me because I feel like they're both slightly misunderstood. Uh, Helena probably way more so than Eamon, but Eamon clearly has a more emotional side. And he's seen, as most people post season one, he will be seen as a psychopath. I could see them bonding through that. And maybe they have already bonded before this. Right. And who been. also and who also doesn't know, know the way Aegon goes, Aegon might know and not care. He didn't even want the crown in the show, right? He said, right. Eamon said, I'll take it. And he's like, well, hey, that's not a bad idea. And then uh, Crispy right. Cole ruined it. Doesn't yeah. he say something along the lines of like, oh, you know, Aegon's like, I wouldn't want to marry her. And Eamon's like, well, I would. I'd I would perform my duty. Did I, I don't know if he said it or I have to go back and look, but it's all I almost. The vibe he gave was like, well, you can have her. Well, uh, okay, I guess I will. <laughs> that was kind of the vibe I got as well in that right. episode. Kind of like, yeah. well, whatever. 
It's not, it's not my preferred play thing. So uh, I think this theory has some weight to it. And I especially think in the show that this could end up being confirmed uh, in future seasons. So this one is good. And, you know, we're still in the believable phase because once we get down to tier three and four, I'm telling you guys, it's just unbelievable. It's outlandish. (laughs) Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to another one that is going to clash with uh, another theory we had earlier. So, Kristen Cole is the father of Jaceris Valerian. While the realm whispers, or in the case of House of the Dragon, publicly states that Harwin Strong is the father of Rhaenyra's children, one theory suggests that her firstborn could be the son of Kristen Cole. Given how important hair color and style has been used throughout the series to determine who is the father of many children's in A Song of Ice and Fire, this theory looks at how Jaceris's hair, while black like Harwin's, isn't as curly as his brother Luke's. While we also see that Rhaenyra does sleep with Kristen and when found out is given moon tea, otherwise known as Westerosi Plan B to drink it, but we never see her actually drink it in the episode. So is it possible that Jaceris Valerian is actually the son of Kristen Cole? When he asks her, you know, am I, you know, you're, you're, is he my father? She says you are a Targaryen. This one is fun. Uh, for the same reason that the last one is, is because man, would that add a lot more drama to this entire civil war? It would make it a lot more messy. Uh, this one, I'm not as sold on as the last one, which is why we put it after. I think, I think this one is a little bit more because we're, we're going really off of timing hairstyle, but in theory, I think it's possible. I know in the books, it, it doesn't line up time timeline wise, but the timeline has been uh, changed in the show. It's not the exact same timeline as far as years go by and whatnot. So I, I would love for someone to be able to disprove this if they could figure out the show's exact timeline from episode to episode. Yeah, I think it's true in the show. Yeah, this you like this one. This is your, this is one of your favorite theories, right? Well, well because there's because there's so much going for it. One, the hairstyle. The casting in this show has been very specific and very good, right? I mean, like Olivia Cook and you look at Emily Carey and then you have Emma Darcy and Miliaka, the hair, the makeup, everything, just their facial features, they're so similar to the young and old versions. And then Luke has very curly hair just like harwin strong i mean harwin strong's hair is like kit harrington's i mean it's like they they got a curling iron out there you know while they're (laughs) while they're out there training it's ridiculous it's just so it's just so so and then you know Kristen cole's got this very like nice straight hair style and if you look if you look at him next to just sarah's uh, valerian their they their hair looks like identical it's not just the hair color sometimes it's the hair style it's one of the reasons that people think that mira reed given that she's born in the same year as Jon snow and that she goes back to Hallen reed when ned stark takes Jon snow back to winterfell and it was Hallen reed's the whole reason we got out of the tower of joy alive it's one of the big reasons everyone thinks that she could be john's twin because the hair is it's this long black curly hair as well so it's not just the hair color but the fact that she doesn't we the it's left open the the Mm -hmm. the tea right for a couple of reasons one if she drinks it, then she kind of admits that she did. Yeah. If she doesn't drink it, and we have no idea whether she did or not. If she doesn't drink it, then she could say, well, I don't have to drink it because I didn't do anything wrong. 
That also means if she doesn't drink it and going down the route of saying, I didn't do anything wrong, then she could be pregnant. And who would that be with? Well, that would be with, you know, Kristen Cole. And, the, the, and then, you know, the timeline could in theory work up. And then when asked, she says, you're a Targaryen. Yeah, because he, so, believed, he asked if Harwin is his father. Now that leaves it open too, because the idea is, well, you're a Targaryen. You're my, you're my son. That's like all you need to know. Well, you know, that's what Ned, you know, Ned Stark says you're, you have Stark blood. You have my blood, right? <laughs> Just saying, man, there's some similarities. Hey, and you know what? This is one of those, unless if it's proven, it won't be disproven in the show. Cause they wouldn't, they wouldn't backtrack to talk about it. If it's not, if it's not true. Right. So in theory, I mean, it's kind of headcanon at this point. So even if they never disprove it in the future seasons of the show, you could watch the show with this headcanon in mind. And it kind of makes it different. Like it's a whole different experience if you think about it like that. Yeah, I think it's fun. And I think it's, it's just a lot of fun. the it's the way they leave some of these things open to interpretations like, well, this was left open. So it opens the possibility for all these other things. Mm -hmm. And then this was left open. So it also opens up the possibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more fun ones here on the iceberg. And I, I I wonder if we'll get any confirmation. I wonder if that will come to play down the line. Yeah, you never know. Never know. I so. guess uh, I guess that puts us here to our last entry here on tier two and the ending of the first part of our iceberg series. And this one is one of my favorites. Viserys dreamt the dinner scene in episode eight. This theory is one that I love and is really up for your interpretation as the viewer. This theory states that the dinner scene in episode 8 of House of the Dragon was a fevered illusion or dream from Viserys' perspective. At first, I said, pretty much absolutely no way this could be true, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized just how crazy it is that both sides at this dinner are getting along so well. They're smiling, they're joking, they're laughing, and Otto Hightower seems to be wildly out of character as he's making faces and funny noises towards Allison, and it's sending her into a fit of giggles. It's a really wonderful scene. But the suspicion begins whenever you believe that if these are real events, they stopped happening as soon as King Viserys was led out from the dinner to go to his bedchambers for him falling ill. Obviously, this is where Aemon delivers the strong line that results in the dinner becoming a complete disaster. So one has to ask, is that just simple timing? Or was this just Viserys' mental state declining and his own wishes becoming his distorted experience in this reality? Or did the Black and Greens truly put aside their feud for a loving, warm dinner for Viserys before it all went to shit? Really, it's up for us and for you to decide. Yeah, I think that he wasn't dreaming it i think it actually happened okay um because i think it makes it even more sort of significant to viserys being the glue that was holding everything together mm. i do really love the idea though of it possibly not being as good as viserys thought and it's this kind of dream he's having mm -hmm. um, especially because then he thinks he's talking to rhaenyra later and he's not yes yeah so there's definitely a lot of validity to the idea that it was this fever dream or, you know, whatever fever dream, or he's just delusional and gone. But yeah, ultimately I, I have to go against this one just because I think the significance of the story is that 
as soon as he leaves, it all breaks down. Yeah, I think thematically for Viserys, the character, I think it is more important for this not to be an illusion. But I think from a directing perspective and a character perspective, it would be a really cool decision if this was an illusion. And the shots in that scene were very sporadic and they cut a bunch of quick cuts to different people acting, you know, very happy <laughs> and putting aside this petty feud. So I like both instances a lot. I would tend to lean towards the side of thinking that it is most likely not an illusion because I think as showrunners, they're probably more concerned with Viserys's, you know, value to the family, especially this being his last episode, rather than showing him in a fevered state. I think it would probably have made it a little bit more obvious, but who knows? Maybe it's some more of that really subtle storytelling that Miguel and Ryan Condell have done in the past. Uh, I like this a lot just because it plays with the idea of perspective, though. So it's this is a really good entry. Bran is watching through the Weirwoods. In Game of Thrones, Bran Stark gains the ability to see and influence past events through the use of Weirwood trees. We see him look back to Jon Snow's birth at the Tower of Joy. He sees other events like his father and his aunt as younger children playing, and he even wargs into Hodor, creating one of the saddest moments in the entire series. In the books, the theory goes much further, suggesting that Bran has influenced many events, including the Mad King's Burn Them All line, or perhaps his entire descent into madness. Just about anyone named Bran, fans have speculated that that could actually be Bran Stark, like Bran the Builder, who helped build the wall. And the entire series could even end in some sort of major time-traveling reset, or that Bran is just simply involved in just about any major moment in the series with his ability to go back in time through the weirwood trees. In House of the Dragon, many important scenes take place in front of a weirwood tree, leading many fans to speculate if Bran, or perhaps another three-eyed raven or crow, if you're reading the books, is watching these events. It's so I think we even said this all throughout season one. Why are they talking in front of the weirwood? Why is there a weirwood in King's Landing? That does That's not book canon. It shouldn't be there, but... For the show canon, I think that they might be hinting at some further connection, whether it be Blood Raven, whether it be Bran. I think that this this has some legs. I think that the idea that maybe Bran is watching this history unfold. I'm not saying I'm all in, but I'm just saying maybe. There's two ways to kind of to kind of view it, I guess. In the books, some of the events Bran sees, which we don't really get a lot. Like so, uh, early on, he just has these sort of raven dreams, which are interflu or crow dreams, which are influenced by Blood Raven, the three eyed crow. And then later, Bran gets to the cave and he sort of has some visions, but it's very fast and it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. In the show, he doesn't necessarily have to be in front of a weirwood tree to see things like he goes and he sees the tower of joy and he goes and he sees some of these other things, but it's just sort of, I guess a common belief or, or people are watching through the weirwood trees. Perhaps it's easier to look at something through a weirwood tree. It, it's never really been sort of fully established, but so often many people think they hear whispers or sounds or they feel like the weirwood is watching them yeah perhaps the weirwood tree itself is able is alive and conscious and is able to watch and it's just and it's presenting information to the three-eyed raven or crow depending on you know show or book 
Yeah, the Weirwood Network, the Internet of Westeros. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and Theon in A Dance with Dragons is near the Weirwood in Winterfell, and he swears that he hears voices. Um, and then you have like the ghost of Winterfell. You have all these things. Um, and they all kind of center at least somewhat around a Weirwood. So I think that this is a really cool theory. I like this one quite a bit. And I would be okay if this is something that, you know, is show only. Who knows? Maybe House of the Dragon at the, at the end curtain. It zooms out and brands just why, you know what I mean? Like, who right. knows? And we're not done yet with the werewolves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so one of, so one of the scenes is Rhaenyra and Allison talking when they're younger. Yes. Right. Many of that's that. Yeah. Many of their conversations take place in front of the weirwood. And it's just interesting to sort of point out that we still don't really know in all honesty, because we haven't gotten far enough into it, uh, into the books, what, role the weirwoods are going to play in sort of the end game but i believe it's going to be something rather significant mm-hmm. you know the isle of faces this island is said to contain right a bunch of bunch of weirwood trees and that people go there and they don't they don't come back and mm-hmm. that's one of that's that's one of the big events in house of the dragon uh and again or, you know one of the the big battles ends at the god's eye some people think hey maybe daemon survives that battle and he's he goes to the Isle of Faces. Yeah, the Isle of Faces remains one of the biggest question marks in all of Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. And these theories that play with that are uh, they're fun. I think that they're really interesting and worth our time to consider because that is something I I do believe at least in the books. If you know we get any future entries, will have some sort of answers for it. Okay. All right, Jimmy. All right, moving down the iceberg. This one here is completely ridiculous. <laughs> All right, another entry for the tier three iceberg is Missaria is Melisandre or Quaith. Missaria has been somewhat of a mis- mystery thus far in House of the Dragon and is ripe for speculation as she seems to be one of one of those who keeps and shares many secrets. This has caused some fans to speculate that there must be more to this mysterious woman than a just a terrible accent. Another character from Game of Thrones show that was also the center of a lot of theories and speculation was Melisandre, the Red Witch. With Missaria so close to these major historical events, some have claimed this could be very young Melisandre affecting the course of history in Westeros, even having somewhat of a similar backstory to Missaria. This seems highly unlikely, but what is even more unlikely is to take it even a step further that the ever elusive and in the show completely forgotten about Quaith could be Missaria as well. This claim seems to have way less evidence towards it than the Melisandre part, but there are multiple people in Reddit and other forums and even on YouTube that I have seen claim that this could be a way for House of the Dragon to tidy up the Quaith storyline. We've yet to see any reason for this other than why not, in my opinion, and I think it's very likely that neither of these are true. The Melisandre theory, part of this theory, is a lot more interesting and I could see them wanting to link the two shows, but I think it's most likely that Masari is simply just the white worm. What do you think? Yeah, I would have to say it's more likely that she, if she is one of those two, it's more likely that she is Quaith than it is that she's Melisandre. You think so? I do. Okay. I, I if she is i'm not saying i don't think she's actually either of them um yeah i but, think this one's a little ridiculous yeah yeah now that's not to say that uh masaria couldn't go on to be somebody uh different or important or a character maybe, maybe we don't even know about exists it exists yet and i do 
think hopefully that season two will sort of expand on Masaria as that sort of Melisandre type side mystical uh, character. Right now, she's really I, the route they're going with her is this sort of like Varys character or Littlefinger um, character. But who knows? Maybe she is dabbling a little bit more into the dark arts, uh, if you uh, right, if you will. So I think the likelihood of her being Melisandre is quite unlikely because I think Melisandre probably when she was younger, looks like the character she looks like in the books and the show. I think that's probably that's that, that like wh whatever, fair. whatever Melisandre is presenting herself at, that's probably what she looks like. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the reasons why some people pointed to Melisandre for Missaria, though, is because the last thing we see in Missaria in season one of the House of the Dragon is that the building is lit on fire and, you know, we kind of assume she's dead. No body, no case. Right. I don't know if I believe that. Um, and no one will, we know from fire and blood. But some people said, hey, the way she could survive the fire is that she looks into the flame. She looks into the flame. Let's go. She's yeah. a red witch. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I mean, guys, we know that this is preposterous, <laughs> but it's kind of fun. It's, right? it's the iceberg. <laughs> It's it, it gets it gets deeper and deeper. It gets okay. worse. It gets worse. Yeah. So if I had if I had to pick of the two, the idea of her being Quaithe, I think makes a little more sense of of the two. Not again. Yeah. Not saying that she is Quaithe, but uh, to have fun to certainly have fun with it. I think the idea of her being Quaithe is far more interesting because. Quaith is somebody who presents some very important information and prophetic information to Daenerys. Yeah. And Quaith is somebody who is going to have some sort of a role to play in the final two books. Uh, George Martin has said that, like, you know, we're not really done with her yet. Uh, she will have a role to play in the show there. It's just easy to kind of, to easy to kind of move on. Do I think that Masaria is the person who would be Quaith? it just would be a really hard sell in the books simply because you would need to like explain who Masaria is in the <laughs> yeah. regular song of ice of fire books. Cause you haven't had that. Right. If I do think that she is probably somebody, you know, like a sheer sea star, you know, blood Ravens paramour, and you can dive into that and make that sort of be a agent on his behalf or whatever. That and that cool. Quaith, I do believe Quaith's identity will sort of be somewhat revealed. We don't have to like have her take off the mask and it's this big, huge reveal or but, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be somebody that's going to sort of be like, okay. And we'll understand the reasoning for it. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of liked uh, Melisandre's end in the show that she just was like okay we defeated the night king like i'm done now yeah out of all the things that you know we didn't like some characters endings and i could actually go into a big tangent about things that i did like even though there's a lot to dislike Th that was one of them that i was kind of okay with mm -hmm. yeah so yeah I, th I, th I thought this theory was kind of cool i do think that they would like to tie in melisandre probably but just because the actress is willing and it does kind of make sense in the timeline that it can make it work but you're right like why would Masaria end up being melisandre and then have someone else play her like the idea would be for the right. Easter to be the actress <laughs> you know um yeah but this is one of those theory the theories on the iceberg there are some on here especially we get deep down deeper they're a little bit more obscure only a couple people mentioning them this one had a lot more traction than i expected a lot of comments on different threads you know saying no i'm telling you it's melisandre and it's like i don't know guys <laughs> i don't know
Maybe her bad accent is on purpose. Maybe. <laughs> okay, awesome. Okay, well, uh, I'll move on to my next one. And this one's a little uh, hot. This is a hot take. Oh, man. Also a little controversial. Okay. Just a little. Danny didn't burn King's Landing. One of the most controversial scenes in the final season of Game of Thrones came in episode five of The Bells, where Daenerys Targaryen burns down King's Landing. Many fans felt this went against her overall character arc in the course of the show and even in the books. But given in but given in House of Dragon, we see a scene in which Aemon Targaryen and Lucerys Valerion's dragons act against their own wishes. It results in the start of the Dance of the Dragons and Lucerys' death. Fans have speculated immediately that perhaps this was what happened in season eight of Game of Thrones. And it wasn't Daenerys that initially wanted to burn King's Landing, but her dragon, Drogon. No, Drogon. After all, Drogon does burn the Iron Throne after she's killed by Jon. <laughs> <laughs> No, Drogon, no! <laughs> uh. Ooh, my face hurts from laughing. Oh, <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> they did so it. So likelihood, likelihood. Uh, so likelihood of that one, Jimmy? Or? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, we never do see Daenerys' POV in the show when she's burning King's Land. Like, we just see the dragon flying over and from everyone else's perspective. So maybe there's a fight, you know? Maybe we're, maybe we're you know, maybe she's covering up for her her child whenever she, you know, tells John, like, we'll make them understand with her little, like, pseudo-Hitler psychotic stare. Um, yeah, this is absolutely ludicrous. Well, here's let me let me let me attack this one. Uh, so I don't I obviously do not believe that that drogue. Well, I don't know. Actually, hold on. Let me think about this for a second. So one of the things people were saying about the Amond and Lucera scene was that even though they were saying like, no, like, you know, obey me, listen to me, that the dragons were actually still acting on their on the writer's sort of intent. And so this is one of the things where it seems like, because if you, you do get this sort of shot of Daenerys before she burns everything down, is that perhaps, you know, maybe she's thinking about it, but Drogon is the one that like kicks off. <laughs> no, Drogon. No. I know. It's just the idea of everything. Like, no. <laughs> this might be my favorite. This is my second favorite uh, theory of the, of, the of the whole thing. Of the whole iceberg. This is my second favorite theory. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you what do you think about the idea though of the of the dragons perhaps acting based purely on like having sort of uh, the uh, a true like sort of emotional connection? Yeah, I think it's possible. Like you know, we can't pretend to understand dragon bonds because the books tell us that we can't. So like that's fine. But I I think it's very reasonable to imagine that they can pick up on emotions whenever there is some sort of bond. I think we see that a little bit actually with Lena, like right before mm -hmm. she commits suicide. I think that that's a really emotional moment. Um, one of the better scenes actually with the dragons for me in season one. So I don't know. I think it's definitely possible. Uh, because there yeah. are there are moments like on the bridge in Dragonstone where like Damon's standing there and his dragon then flies over and lands on the other side. So his dragon already kind of knows like what to do. The so that 
is some sort of emotional bond. So if Danny has this with her dragons, then perhaps <laughs> Drogon's really the one who burns on King's Landing. Hey, also, he... why does he just burn the Iron Throne at the end? See, yeah. he just hate he just hated it. I think said, Drogon was playing some 40 chess. Yeah, he said, see, I hate I hate the throne. Throne bad. Pointy chair. <laughs> the pointy chair bad. <laughs> We're gonna get some mean comments from serious. That. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get some hate mail for that one, I think. Not as much as Dan and Dave got for people hating the uh Daenerys's arc there yeah. at the end. I mean, if anything, uh we can maybe this is how I can go. Does that season eight. if that if that happened, does that does that help Daenerys's case or does it just make season eight that much worse? Honestly, I think it makes it better because I don't know if it could get much worse in that regard. Now, now we, we're not going to go on a big season eight thing, but I just want to say that there are some parts of season eight I enjoyed. Oh, I um, still say I love the first three episodes. Yeah, but... there, there, there's some stuff I really enjoy about that. And maybe maybe we'll do a, uh, you know, a flashback episode where we can kind of talk about what we like, because me and you have never discussed on the podcast those things. But honest to God, I'm going to use this as headcanon now. Yeah. Even though I don't see the Night King didn't want to burn down the wall, Viserion <laughs> did it. I blame the dragons. I blame the dragons. The people were good. Well, see, one one of the other things is um, Viserys talks about how he's like, no, we don't control the dragons. That's right. Like, we don't really think you know we're foolish for thinking we actually control them. That's right. See, Danny didn't control Drogon. Drogon said, "I'm going to burn all these motherfuckers up." And with this, we have now just qualmed a lot of the distaste that people have grown to have for season eight. For season we eight, fixed it. we fixed it. So thanks, uh, HBO. Thanks. There we go. Check. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. This one is uh, interesting. It is. I don't know if it's as ridiculous as the Danny didn't burn King's Landing, but here we go. Laris is a warg and possibly a green seer. Laris is a very enigmatic character who not only harbors the ability to get things done in the shadows, but also to do extreme acts of brutality. His wealth of intimate knowledge of those around the Red Keep enables him to be a very effective player in the Game of Thrones, specifically for Alicent. While him being club-footed and therefore ignored and visible by many of the noble people at court could be used as a justification for his ability to listen closely to private conversations, there are further explanations, more fantastical explanations as well. Some people believe that simply overhearing some key conversations would not lead to all of the intimate knowledge that Laris possesses about key people in the Red Keep. Some have even linked his ability to manipulate people to legendary figure in Westeros, Blood Raven. Could Laris be a green seer like Blood Raven? And to take it one step further, could Laris also possess the power of warging? This theory stems from the fact that Laris' wealth of knowledge, but also imagery of what was extremely prevalent in House of the Dragon season one, which was rats running all over the Red Keep. In many, many key scenes, we see rats infesting the dragon skull, infesting the blood-ridden floors after the brutal beatdown that we see Kristen Cole deal out. Is Varys working into the rats in the castle and spying this way? Is he seeing conversations that he should not be seeing by using these rats that are all over the Red Keep? Or is he working with a more human-like network of spies akin to Varys from Game of Thrones? Either way, Laris is one to keep our eye on as we move forward in House of the Dragon for sure. I think this one has some validity to it. I don't hate it. Um, there's nothing in the strong family line that would 
tip us to believe that he should have green dreams, but we don't really know what that much about the strong line because yeah. he's the end of it. Yeah, he kind of he thins it out a little bit, doesn't he? Uh, I don't know, man. I I like this one. I think it's harmless, by the way. Like, I think that this this will never be confirmed in the show. I don't I don't think I might be wrong. Um, which we have some more Laris theories coming that are way more ridiculous mm-hmm. than this. But but this one's harmless in the fact that like if this is never confirmed or denied by the show, we could believe it and it doesn't change much. You know what I mean? So this one's kind of cool. Definitely takes a step further with the warging. Like even a green seer, it's like, okay, well, maybe like he he's seeing things and he knows positions to be in for the future. But warging into the rats would be like a whole nother level, more akin to brand than Blood Raven. You know, because Brandon was a green seer and a warg, whereas Blood Raven was just a green seer. So this would make Laris one of the more powerful people ever in Westeros history, if it were true. It would explain a lot. You know, I mean, there's there's a kind of ridiculous theory in and it's actually more ridiculous than than this one, that Varys is a merman. And it talks <laughs> about the idea that Varys is able to sort of like swim across the narrow sea. And that's how he can see, like. He knows so, so why everything everything that's going on over in Essos because he could just go back and forth. It's pretty ridiculous, but a fun one. This one actually sort of makes a lot of sense. I mean, warging is something that's very not very common, but it's in the in the series, the main series. Like, well, it's kind of common. All the Stark ch- children can do it. Some of the wildlings can do it. We don't know really anything about the House Strong because Laris is the end of it uh he's he's the he's the he's the end of the the house strong line and you know they're just sort of there and in the books really you know again it's sort of rough outline so we don't know so i think it actually would make a lot of sense if he were a warg and i think it'd actually be pretty cool yeah i think it would be neat and the the rats were a a very good piece of symbolism of like things like you know being messy in the red keep but also like eating within the beast beneath mm-hmm. the doors a lot of people thought the beast beneath the fords before we saw what it was was the rats like a lot of people thought that that's what she uh what she meant helena whenever she said that so you know the rats could just be symbolism but maybe it's more than that like maybe there's a reason why we're seeing them and i know me and you mentioned it after every single episode like what's up with the rats like there has to be something more and this is a very interesting (laughs) this is an interesting justification not just for that symbolism but i've seen a lot of people levy the criticism that they felt like laris hasn't really been given enough context meaning that like he just seems evil for evil's sake like killing his entire family which is a massive deal in westeros uh he kind of just does it and we don't really know other than maybe just some ambition but like what is that ambition maybe him being a green seer would give him foresight to know that the events need to play out this way and that's why he's so willing to go ahead and do these things also i mean it could be the fact that he's club footed and has probably been looked down upon and he's not the strongest of the of the bunch you know compared to harwin and so i mean there's definitely some natural <laughs> like right. bridges we can build to get to these assumptions of why he did what he did but it is interesting and fun to look at the fantastical elements of it as well and say, well, maybe he knows something we don't. And he also seems like he kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, like in the show, it just seems like, whoa, he just came like, in front of a werewolf. Just so say it. I, this is one actually that I, I could see. And it would be kind of cool because the books, because the books are told to us through mushroom and, uh, you know, a maester. So then it's like, okay, so it would make sense that they would not know that he's a, warg but the show could totally do it then it would also make him seem a lot more powerful and evil as a villain 
Yeah, and I think it would it wouldn't be bad to give a little bit more nuance to him of like why he's doing what he's doing, other than just the fact that he happens to be a disabled person in right. Westeros. Like like that is pretty two dimensional, right? Like we should be able right. to do a little bit more of that. Um, we should we should we should be able to get some more, and we have time, so we'll see what happens. Uh, he's certainly got a role to play in the future of House of the Dragon, and, and who knows? Maybe he'll be warging into a dragon. I don't know. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, here we go. So today is tier four. We're in the darkest tier. Okay. These are the wildest theories going around on the internet for House of the Dragon. So I'm going to start here. And this one I almost thought should have been. This is the one I sort of thought might be in my mind was the tier five. But then I don't know, Jimmy. The more I started oh. researching and reading and typing this out, I, this might make some sense. Oh, okay. My. But we'll let you guys decide. Alicent becomes Melisandre. The Dance of the Dragons is one of the most devastating wars in Westeros history, and many of the key players either die in battle or through execution. However, Alicent Hightower is one of the key figures who actually survives the war. Her end is a little anticlimactic. In the book, she just wastes away in a tower locking herself in her room as she mourns over all of her fallen family members. This could be one area that the show changes. Her death in general could be far more dramatic. Maybe she dies in execution or by a dragon. Who knows? But it's probably one area the show is actually going to differ then. However, if they really wanted to connect to the two shows... One way could be by making Alicent become Melisandre. Fans have been speculating about this online, through Reddit forums and in Twitter, and in some ways, I think it makes some sense. No one would have predicted the route that they are going with Aegon's prophecy before seeing House of the Dragon, or Alicent's personality in general. In the books, she comes across as far more devious and evil. Here? She seems a little more innocent and even naive, but she may become obsessed with the Song of Ice and Fire, and she could perhaps fake her death and continue trying to fulfill this prophecy by any means necessary. You've lost your mind. You've lost your mind. And, and, you know, I thought I knew you. I thought I knew you. I thought we were on the same page. I mean, come on. Hold on a second. Does it make more sense? Because the tier above was perhaps Masaria becomes Melisandre or Quave. I think we may need to flip them around because I think this one, I think to be, I think this one. You know what I do like about this theory is that it is cashing in on Alicent being so pious in season one. Uh, and then feeling like maybe her prayers were not answered by the old gods, and then she becomes faithful to uh, Relore. And maybe in a future season, of, and, and again, I'm just kind of playing along here, but like, let's say maybe in a future season, a red priest or priestess shows up and starts right. to work on her. And as she's seeing, you know, her family die all around her, maybe she has a change of heart and she sees that the Lord of Light is the true way. And then she hears about Azura high and you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe. folks, <laughs> maybe, maybe Alice, maybe Allison is Lightbringer. Okay. <laughs> did, did, or did, did she stabbed Rhaenyra or she cut Rhaenyra <laughs> with, with the dagger that contains the prophecy. Okay. Oh my God. 
it's ludicrous. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I do, the idea, I like but the, I, the idea of her being obsessed with the prophecy is something that in my I one never thought they were going to go that route in a show ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, we never assumed that. And then it's she hears it and it's become this huge part of. Yeah. Of, you know, uh, of Westeros history now. Yeah, it is. And and it's it's also somewhere, you know, this would obviously be a departure from the books, but it is one that they could do and it still makes sense in the show canon. Um, you know, I think people will have a problem with it, <laughs> but it is possible. I think that it is right. maybe not likely, but the show canon, this could work. Obviously for the books, this is off the table. Um but you're right. Her ending in the books is, while very melancholy, is very anticlimactic. And it is, I don't see a way forward with the future seasons of her fading to the background. Like, I just don't see that happening with Olivia Cook. And it, it she, there's too much investment from the audience at this point. Right. right. Yeah. So. I mean, essentially, you know, if you begin to look at towards the end of the series and you're, and you start thinking about, well, what would the final season, what would the final episode of House of the Dragon be? Right. I mean, you mm -hmm. think probably it's going to be Hour of the Wolf. It's going to include a coronation of Aegon the Third. So what's Allison do? She's just sitting in a tower all by herself. And that's gee willikers. Right. Like that's like that's that's it. I mean, it, it. I just don't know. You'd have to zoom ahead for her yeah. to die. So unless it's just her sitting there all alone. Right. Which I mean, I do think like in the books that is like actually really like traumatic. Right. Like I think that that it's right. a terrible reality to be locked away in a tower. It does kind of call back, uh, you know, it's a little bit to Rhaenyra talking about how she didn't want to be someone that's locked away in a tower giving birth to children. Right. Like that, you know, that was a really important line in season one because that's actually exactly what happens to Rhea Nera in her last episode. She is locked away in a tower while, you know, uh, Damon's basically running her, um, her council and she's giving birth. So, it, like, I think there's a lot of weight to that statement. So, it could play into the idea that Allison just ends up rotting away in a tower. But, uh, I don't know if people would love that ending. So, I think if anything, we could take from this theory if we, if we want to be, uh, you know, little less crazy would definitely be the fact that I think there's going to be a change to her arc. Um, definitely. But I do like, I do like the idea of this theory, uh, mainly because it could work with, uh, how old Bill Sandra is talked about to be in the show. Right. Uh, right. and it does cash in on, again, on the piety of Allison. Right. So more likely scenario of the two theories that we have, placed into this iceberg again these are not we did not sit sit here and say these are what we believe these are like things that were yes. trending on reddit and twitter that we pulled to sort of some of these are from Vox in here and collider yeah. like major media outlets have put this stuff <laughs> pen to page so we didn't Do just like more likely that melisandre is Allison, or more likely that this we're after a YouTube poll. More likely that Melisandre would be Allison or or Masaria. I think Masaria's character probably needs more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like she in, in her background is mysterious, and how does she have this much influence? Um, I don't think either are likely, but more likely, it might. <laughs> but like, I don't know, man. Like Allison doesn't look anything like Melisandre either, though. I guess right. it is Masaria, though. So 
I, don't I see. I think I'm flipped now. I think I think it's more. It's just because we've yet to have anything that specifically ties <laughs> Masaria. It's like so. At least with Allison, oh at least God. with Allison, you have there's two parts where it's, to me it's like okay. Again, I'm not saying this is this is the case, but I see I have two clear indicators that sort of make more sense to me than Masaria. One is the the potential for it, a real obsession of the Song of Ice and Fire. Yes. She learns this secret. She believes it's going to be true, and she'll do, go by it whatever means necessary. Two, the end of her life in the books, and most likely in the show, there's really nothing for her to do. Mm -hmm. So this gives her, like, a path forward. So that's where I'm like, okay, again, I don't think either are true, but if I had to sort of pick one... Masaria's is just that she's foreign, but how do you and mysterious? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it's just like okay, well, I guess you know. I mean, <laughs> it's like why not? It's a why not? Whereas right. like like Allison, Allison has, has a some has a legitimate tie to potentially the Lord of Light and defeating the White Walkers and the evil yes. and yes. Okay, so here's my here's a question. Let's just pretend that Allison is Melisandre. Okay. Or because we should say not we shouldn't say is becomes Melisandre as it's stated in the iceberg. Um, how do you do that on screen? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I don't know that I don't know how you would you leave it open ended and her exit from the show is like sailing across the narrow sea to like you with a priestess to. who has come, and then like we, <clears throat> we just assume like, whoa, is that Melisandre? Is that her? You know, like, right. I don't know. The problem is that the, the actress who plays Melisandre has specific, what's a Van, how I forget her first name. Uh, but Catherine something, something? Like Van something or other. Yeah, she uh, she specifically said she wants to be in House of the Dragon. I mean, yeah, she probably wants that sweet paycheck. Uh, Karis Van Hooten. Van Hooten, yeah. Hutton. Uh, yeah, I mean, she actually would make sense. It really it actually makes more sense that she would meet Allison. It's just that also she specifically has held like the dagger that Arya uses to kill the Night King. And Melisandre is the one who sort of gives Arya the final prep top to go kill the Night King with the dagger that Allison has used. I mean, and it's specifically tied to the Song of Ice and Fire. Listen, I'm not saying it's impossible. <laughs> Man, people would be so I mad. Oh, it, it, would, <laughs> it, would, it would melt think, the internet. If you think people were upset about Daenerys at season eight, people would lose their minds in this. <laughs> you know what? I'm all for it. It sounds great. Chaos. Let's right. go. It also makes more sense that old Melisandre that we see without her, mm -hmm. you know, glamour would yeah. be Alicent than without Masaria. Yeah. For sure. Ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely. All of the all of the ones we have today are ridiculous. So I don't know. The next one I have is pretty legit too. But we'll go back and forth. So uh Jimmy, okay. you may have to you may have to do because our next two sort of go hand in hand. So you may have to do your your final one. Okay. I will do what I think is the most ridiculous. The... <laughs> I think this is the most ridiculous thing. Period. Period. I guess even with no matter what way we stack them, it's gonna be back to back, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should save that one. Well, okay. Well, maybe I'll just do okay. Maybe I'll maybe I'll just go next and then you could then yeah, and then we can do it. And then we'll yeah. So I'll just I'll go next and then we can okay, we'll cool. Make sense. Okay. We're, we'll do it. Actually, lot. it actually it gets deep, it gets deeper. Yeah. It, it the does. way it goes, it actually gets deeper. It okay, okay. 
Damon is Blood Raven in Game of Thrones. In Game of Thrones, we see Bran Stark influenced through dreams of the Three-Eyed Raven, a character who has the ability to see into past events through the power of weirwood trees. We really get no explanation to his backstory or how he came to obtain this ability. In the books, the character is known as the Three-Eyed Crow and is Brendan Rivers, a Targaryen bastard of King Aegon IV, also known as Bloodraven. Bloodraven is a practicer of the dark arts, serves as Hand of the King, and has a vast spy network before he's sent to the Wall for committing a war crime. He quickly becomes Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, but disappears mysteriously for decades until we see him in the main book series. This is an area where the show could make a rather large change and perhaps make this character Daemon Targaryen. While accounts of the end of the Dance of the Dragons makes it seem as if Daemon dies in battle with Aemond in a dragon versus dragon combat above the God's Eye, Daemon's body is never found, leading to speculation that he somehow survives the battle. Given the proximity to the God's Eye itself and speculation to what is actually on the island, the connection to Weirwoods and possibly Children of the Forest, it's possible in the show, Damon, not Bloodraven, could be taken by the Children of the Forest to serve as the Three-Eyed Raven. All right, listen, I, I mocked you and I said that you, we lost you. I might buy this one. I think I I I could it would be a very I I could see it like the old <laughs> it's ridiculous. it really it, well yes so first first of all I guess we need to talk there's a there's so many things we need to break down in this <laughs> one good move or bad move in Game of Thrones of not explaining further who the three eyed raven was. Well, bad in the sense that uh, they should have done it, <laughs> but right? Okay, in the fact that like maybe this ties in later. This is also something they could inspect in like Dunk the Dunkin' Egg show if they do that. Like that's exactly the way they could tie it in. Like I think that's a lot more logical than this theory, but leaving it ambiguous definitely leaves it open for the show canon, which that's all we're talking about, folks. The show canon, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like all these, but the show could now use that if they wanted to possibly they could and it would it would connect them yeah it's what's interesting is that you know in the show the three-eyed raven well for starters it's one of those other things where you see the three-eyed raven once right and he it's a totally different actor and stuff like that and then they cut back to him and he's got a shaved head i don't know how that works but you know whatever uh and they didn't really explain it further in the books it's the character is so much more important so much bigger and the fact that it's blood raven is such a big deal and again we probably have a lot of new listeners today um and you know just in general if if you're somebody who i know we have a lot of a lot of our listeners in general are show watchers only so you're like i don't even know who this character is right i mean you know who the thread raven is but you're unfamiliar with say blood raven very important <laughs> character. I mean, very, very, very important. And they didn't touch on, they didn't touch on that in the show, which I guess is sort of fine because you maybe don't have the time or maybe you don't want to introduce, introduce yet another Targaryen. Right. And of course, even the fact that blood Raven gets to that cave and becomes this character in its own right in the books is still yet to be explained and very significant. I do believe 
in Winds of Winter, we will get some more details of that event because it's very important and has a lot of implications for brand going forward. But here, if you did want to make it Damon, there's a lot of reasoning for it. And also, Damon's death in the books is also incredibly mysterious. He, when he and Aemon have the big battle over the God's Eye, dragon versus dragon combat, we know that Damon either jumps from his dragon or something, stabs Aemon through the non-eye, uh, and Aemon's body is recovered years later. Damon's body is never found. So we don't know exactly what happens to him. Some people believe he swims over to shore, but it's also by the God's Eye, a very mysterious island, which could in all honesty have like every all of the big secrets of a song of, a Vi of ice and fire <laughs> could take place on this island that's full of weirwood trees and perhaps children of the forest and if damon were to say end up over there who knows yeah. i also think the possibility wrote one last thing i also think the possibility that even in the books if damon does survive he could serve as a three-eyed crow or raven or you know three-eyed crow in the books before Blood Raven, because we don't even know who was there before Blood Raven. Was there another person? Like, what's going on in that cave? Shit. Shit. Okay. Okay. I like where I like where you're going with this. Yeah, you're right. We we don't know what comes before Brennan Rivers. Uh, was there a Blood Raven? Like, or was there the Three Eye Crow before Brennan Rivers? That's a good question to ask. Probably right. Um, and hopefully we we get those kind of answers in the books. I mean, I I do think that this is a cool theory in the sense that I don't believe that Damon, uh, if the body's not found in, in fantasy folks, it means they're alive every Absolutely. time, every time. And a lot of people have speculated that Damon just runs away with nettles. Some people I've seen some theories say that they think Masaria will end up being nettles, like a stand in for nettles. Uh, I've seen some other like, uh, theories as well, but I can't remember exactly who the person was. Um, but regardless, I mean, I do think that we're going to get the answers of what happens to Damon's body at the end of House of the Dragon. And while we're still asking what that will be, this theory is in play. Yeah, I actually think it's more likely that Damon dies in the show, but lives in the books. You think? Yeah, it's just his character. It's just, it's, uh, see, it's, this is where I could go either way. That's another thing. Like, that's another theory we don't even know yet. We'll have to come back for another iceberg, you know, when, as we, <laughs> we get maybe season two, because once we have some more information, it's just Damon's character is so strong and powerful and he's making these decisions. It's just, mm -hmm. it's one of these things that it's just like, it would be so sort of so fitting to really kill him yeah. um, in this battle. But if you do go this route, then it has potentially huge implications to tie into Game of Thrones and yeah. potentially going further. Yeah, definitely. I because mean, because Dame, look, you know, it's one of these other questions. When Damon chokes Rhaenyra, is he? He's he's part of him is very upset that, um, you know, that Viserys told her this thing, this secret, this this sort of like air. Like that's really what it, it was more about. Like, hold on, he actually did choose you sort of as an heir over me. He told you the secret. He's my brother. But I wonder if Damon will begin to like question her at some point. Like, what is the significance of this? And I could see Damon thinking of himself as this like true savior of Westeros.
Yeah, I could see that. I also can see the idea of him wanting to get away from it all. Uh, and the fact that like one of the things that's been most important to Damon throughout this whole process in the show is that he wants to return the Targaryens to like their proper place as, you know, being superior. And he really does care about the Targaryen name and the family and at least what it represents. And as he's seeing the dance happen and he's watching everything come crashing down and everyone he knows dying, like, does he just give up on that at some point and want to go away? Um, maybe. It's going to take a lot of character development to get him to that point from what we've seen in season one, but we do have a lot of time. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is a fun one. This is a really fun theory. It is, it is outlandish, but like I said, it's still in play. See, I see. I, it's, it's almost da Damon in a way is almost like Stannis where Stannis decides I'm going to go take on the others. Right, that's the whole reason he goes north of the wall. Right, all right, we'll go take him on. We'll we'll go defeat this this army. Melisandre is telling me to defeat because then it will show Westeros that I am the true king. Hmm. I can see that. I can see Damon doing the same thing. I see. Yeah, yeah, and start going down and start doubting that path. Yeah, it absolutely could happen. And maybe it's King's blood. Damon has King's blood. Well, which maybe that's what the children of the forest need, and that could tie him in and. Maybe it's, that's really the whole deal, and it's 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 maybe not so much green seers. And well, it's much more you're you're bucking up against the next theory, my friend. I know. Well, let's dive into that one. Right? Let's do now it. We're gonna, now we're now we're going to dive a different path. We're going to dive a different path, but with the same player, and that is Damon. Damon Targaryen becomes the Night King. Damon Targaryen is a very distinct looking individual. There's no doubt about that. And fans have went wild for the portrayal of Damon by Matt Smith in the show and looked under every nook and cranny for a way to connect him with the wider Game of Thrones universe. They have really outdone themselves, however, because there is now speculation and theories claiming Damon is the White Walker King we see in a Game of Thrones television show. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is insane and borderline dumb, but let's just think about it for just one second. The White Walker King has long flowing white golden locks, just like Damon, and they both sport a pretty nice studded vest. However, the more compelling piece of this ludicrous theory is that the reason the Night King was able to zombify and then ride an ice dragon was due to the fact that the Night King and Damon both have magical blood. If Damon is the Night King, he not only has whatever White Walkers have in their blood, but he also has the Targaryen blood that has been so magical throughout the series. White Walker and Targaryen meet in one of the most absurd theories we've had yet. You know, we covered a similar one, right? And that Viserys was the Night King. This <laughs> one is even more ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, it's not... <laughs> It's it's even it's even more ridiculous. This theory is really bad because it's based on like hair, like as if like when they were casting the the White Walker King, they said, "Well, make sure he has long blonde hair so we can connect it to House of the Dragon." That we don't know it's in pilot. You know what I mean? Like, there's just right. no way. I do the thing I like the creative part of this theory that I enjoy, even though I think it's hogwash, is the fact that how did the Night King ride a dragon and how was he able to command the dragon? Well, of course, he's a Targaryen. He had Targaryen blood. <laughs> right. Well, I know we talked about that when we when we did the, when we did the when we did the Viserys. Well, look, it just makes it like. First of all, in the show, we see the guy, <laughs> and we talked we talked about the possibility of unreliable narrator. <laughs> right. We see the guy. It's like we see it. 
And then, you know, it's just, uh, how could it possibly be, how could it possibly be Damon? Like, Blood Raven, to me, makes way more sense. Oh, right? without a doubt. Makes way, sense. like, way more sense. But the Night King, like, the, so the children of the forest decide they want to turn him into an other. He doesn't even die anywhere close. Like, Well, you know, there's werewoods, maybe the children of the forest of the God's Eye, you know, like God's Eye, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Probably not. I right? guess. I guess <laughs> it makes it in it, the idea that the Night King is Damon and like wanting revenge makes far more sense than Viserys. Oh, definitely. It just fits Damon's personality a little bit more. Well, another cool thing is like, I guess one of the symbols that you could take from this is like, if Damon is the Night King, it is him fulfilling the other side of the prophecy that his brother never told him. Like there's some cool symbolism in that. Right. Like oh, he yeah. is the opposing force. Um, he is so offended that he takes the other side. Right. I think that that's, a, that's kind of a neat way that you could tie it together. Uh, that was not in the theory that I found online. However, uh, you know, if I could help them out, I would probably throw that as a bullet point underneath uh, this outrageous theory. But yeah, I don't know. This one's pretty ridiculous. I guess in a way he does kind of, I'm, I'm pulling up pictures now. He does sort of look, I guess he does look a little little like Damon. Damon looks a lot more like the White Walker, I think the one that Sam sees. Yes, and this I think is, it's, it's yeah. the one and the one that John fights. Yeah, this is the one that uh the theory is actually referring to. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I I just don't know. I just I I, I mean the answer I, is I, it's not true. That's the answer. <laughs> it's there's yeah. no way. You know, it's like here we tr we always try to make theories work. I always try to see, it, but this one I'm just like, yeah. The, uh, could he be a White Walker? Yes, like one of the could, like head walkers that we saw. Yeah, I could potentially, I could in theory see that. Of course, that would mean Damon survives his battle with Amond, goes to the God's Eye, and the Children of the Forest do something take him north some and turn him into a white walker just the night king himself it's just hard because the show showed them do something with him yeah <laughs> it also just makes zero sense it just yeah. makes, but that's it that's what these that's what these these deep deep theories are about if if it but wasn't you know what? it wasn't for the last theory on this iceberg i would say it's the most unlikely Yes, but the but the next one, although, well, I don't know. This might be a little more to it. Let's dive in. All right. To round off this iceberg at the very tip of the bottom of this rabbit hole is our final theory. Buckle up. Laris did Summerhall. The tragedy at Summerhall was a fire at Summerhall, a pleasure castle of House Targaryen in the Dornish Marches in 259 AC. The conflagration caused the deaths of, among others, King Aegon V Targaryen, his eldest son, Prince Duncan Targaryen, the Sir Duncan the Tall, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. The cause of the fire is yet unknown, but was connected with King Aegon's desire to restore dragons to the Seven Kingdoms. 
The last years of his reign were consumed by a search for ancient lore about the dragon breeding of Valyria, and it is said that Aegon commissioned journeys to places as far away as the Shy with the hopes of finding texts and knowledge that had not been preserved in Westeros. In 259 AC, Aegon summoned many of those closest to him to Summerhall to celebrate the impending birth of his first great-grandchild to Ares and Raelia, the children of Aegon's heir, Prince Jaehaerys. Many died, and fire destroyed the castle, leaving it a ruin. According to Barristan Selmy, sorcery was even involved. Now this is where it gets crazy. Tons of theories have sprouted from Summerhall's tragedy, but none more sensational than the theory that Larys Strong is responsible for the tragedy at Summerhall. The idea that Larys is a warg and using rats around the Red Keep has spiraled into people believing that he might also be connected to the Weirwood Network. By the end of the House of the Dragon television show, his signature murder plot for his own family using fire and then attempting a hit on Masaria by burning down her buildings are consistent with the fire tragedy at Summerhall. Could it be at the end of House of the Dragon, Larys' disdain for the Targaryens lead him to entering the Weirwoods network and being able to travel to the future in time? The opportune time to stop the Targaryens from returning to their pre-Dance of the Dragon power levels with big, youthful, capable dragons. Um, you know, I was trying to find it uh, over, over here because you know, when we first announced this one and we said it was the most ridiculous thing we'd ever heard, <laughs> I was like, I agree 100%. But the actor just spoke at that Game of Thrones convention and I'm trying to find the quote, but he spoke a little bit about like, Laris actually having magic like one of the questions asked and he kind of hinted to the possibility of it didn't flat out say it of course then he went on a big rant about feet fetish but um <laughs> yeah, so i'm not saying that Laris has any sort of magical abilities but the actor has sort of alluded to the idea that he might now does it have anything to do that he could participate in some event that takes place years later there's i no mean way. he would literally have to travel like decades in centuries time. yeah in time to get to this point in history and i just don't think so i just i don't see it and also like so we've seen the ability for brand and by the way again we didn't make this up there are people online right. who believe this is a, a oh there are, yeah there's a the lot this one's popular um but you know we've we've seen Bran be able to like see back in history and kind of manipulate events like by whispering into the wind. This is straight up embodying. You know what I mean? Now maybe Laris isn't. Maybe Laris ends up being Blood Raven. I don't. I just don't see how it works. I mean, we're talking about time traveling with your body going in for like just because Summerhall is obviously tied to the Targaryens and it ends in fire. Someone was like, "Well, Laris used fire twice." And he's around the Targaryens. Maybe he takes Allison's pledge like all the way to the future. You know, it's just so outlandish. Maybe, maybe, maybe um, feet are his, uh, you know, he, he sees feet and that sort of awakens his magical abilities. And he's able to just walk his way into the future. Maybe. Well, if he can warg into rats, could he warg into something that could live long enough to cause him to be able to influence the events at Summerhall? Like a weirwood tree. Which, Perhaps. by the way, still doesn't make any sense because weirwoods don't grow indoor. <laughs> right. Could he... Now, see, the, he could have something to do with... See, this is where... So, Summerhall? I don't think so. 
I just don't see any way he's involved in Summer Hall. <laughs> Heron Hall and its sort of curse and building and helping to absolutely because Heron Hall is completely a cursed location. Yeah. I mean, it is cursed and anything can happen. Absolutely. And he's one of the key contributors to something that happens there. He may reawaken evil spirits. Could those spirits then travel to Summer Hall? Again, guys, we're stretching it here. Okay. This is the deepest, darkest parts of the iceberg. I'm stre I'm stretched about as far as it gets. I, I I just don't there's no way. There's literally no way. And the fact that like someone like posted this online and then multiple people were like, you know what? <laughs> I'm in. Let me think about this for a second. What happens to his foot? How does Do he we know? Do you think he tripped over the werewood branch? No, 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 no. <laughs> At the end, he's beheaded by Craig and Stark, but he right. asked for one thing, and that's his foot is cut off. That way he's like, although his head's cut off too, so I don't know, whatever. But he just wants his foot to be destroyed. Does it say what happens to it? I don't think it does. Did they feed it to one of the werewood faces? This no, Allison. Could, could could the bones of his foot have made it to Summerhall? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> Is there a curse that travels with his with his foot? <laughs> the curse of the web code. We've we've added a deeper portion of the ice ring. Larris's foot is responsible for a summer haul i'm gonna throw out i'm gonna throw out the, the i'm calling to the banners here if you are listening and you have any idea how this could work send us a raven send us a raven Pl plug the e uh, email address matt because i forget it right now btk btk cast at gmail hold on a second okay here we go all right it's from fire and blood all right and, and, of course, the wiki. Says, um, Larys the Strong's corpse was given to the Silent Sister, and years later, his bones were taken to Harrenhal as his final resting place. Okay? Craig and Stark ordered that the removed foot be buried in a field, but the limb disappeared before that could occur. As Larys was the last of his line, his death brought an end to how strong. Where is the foot, Matt? What if the foot was buried in the field where Summer Hall is built? Oh, my God. Because I think Summer Hall is pretty new, right? I'm going to go check it out. Yeah, well, it's, it's the pleasure paradise, right? Like, that's, that's the whole idea. Right. Summer Hall. I mean, look up when it's built. Pleasure. Founded in 188 AC. So it's founded. So before. No, during House. Uh. Yeah, no, yeah, it's like it's, 71 it's, years before um, right before it gets burnt down. So it exists. But who knows where the foot go? Could it have been taken to Summer Hall? Does does anyone know where Laris's foot ended up? That seems significant. Also, what's the deal with the Silent Sisters? And they just what they just carry they just carry bones yeah. around Westeros because they have Ned Stark's bones. Yeah, and we don't know where they're at. In in a song of ice and fire, they have, they still have Ned Stark's bones. They're supposed to be taking them back to Winterfell. The Silent Sisters, also referred as the Strangers' Wives' Deaths, Handmaidens, and the Handmaidens of the Stranger, are an order of women belonging to the Faith of the Seven. They are sworn to the service of the Stranger and have taken vows of chastity and silence. The Silent Sisters attend to the dead. They are not to be confused with Septas. Hmm. 
Yeah. It doesn't give us much, does it? It does not, but um, it's all interesting. Well, that is the end of our iceberg, Jimmy. Three-parter. Four tiers, three parts. We did it. Are there even deeper, darker parts to this iceberg that will occur in the off season as we yes. go into house of the dragon yes house of the dragon season two there's been interviews um there actually was an interview uh with laris the actor who plays laris and he talked about his sort of foot fetish with allison and why he's doing it and it sort of goes back to what we were talking about with control and things like that but i think we'll get more info um about it and they are uh as of our recording i think she they're casting. They're supposed to be done casting about, I think, by the end of the new year. So, and production is supposed to start early 2023, which I, th I think I'm going to release this on New Year's uh, Day. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of good so, stuff came out of this first season. I mean, a lot of crazy so, stuff. So, let's, let's just look back at the iceberg here. Which two? Of course, you could pick one from Tier 1 or something like that. But which... Which theory was your was your favorite or the one you found the most intriguing? It doesn't necessarily have to be the one that you believe most, but the one that you, you sort of just, wow, really caused you to think, wonder. Um, so I really like Viserys dreaming the dinner scene in episode eight because I think that that would be a really creative way of using perspective. Like, I think that's just a really fascinating uh, device to use as a storyteller. I think that that would be awesome if it were true. Um, other than that, I, I mean, I like Danny not bringing a King's Landing just because it's hilariously offensive. Um, <laughs> I'm going to like it's so it made, uh, it makes a lot of people upset. And I think that it it's slightly funny. Uh, I think, honestly, Damon being Blood Raven is definitely one that I, I don't necessarily think is going to come true, but I like it. Yeah, Um. Mine is similar. I think the one I really like Amond is the father of the children mm -hmm. just because it really add, would add a lot of significance to basically House of the Dragons red wedding scene. Yeah. Which in all honesty, the way that I think that I think they could make it even more to me, it's even more heartbreaking than the red wedding. It's serious. It, blood it's and cheese. Yeah. Are, and of course, we're in complete spoiler territory here, which we've said at the beginning of the show. Especially because of the, now that we've seen Helena Targaryen and she's sort of so sweet and so nice, mm -hmm. it makes it just would it's going to it's going to make that scene even more sort of heartbreaking because now it'll feel like it was Aemon's fault and it could be really the thing because Aemon, I, I think, still has the sort of love of Damon or something where he sort of admires him. And yeah. this could be the thing that pushes them over the edge, which could make their final battle great and be another thing that's will begin to rip Damon and Rhaenyra apart. Yeah. Because Rhaenyra, this doesn't seem like something she's going to want to do. And Damon seems like he's just going to do it without her consent. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be brutal. And I do think that because the characters are more fleshed out in the show than they are in fire and blood, that it's going to have even more impact. Like reading in fire blood, you're like, that's crazy. And it right. is tense enough in the book to where, like, I think I, I, I mean, I had an emotional reaction to it as a very visceral reaction because it is just a tragic thing to go through at, uh, for anybody. But now that the characters have a lot more behind them, it's going to be really emotional for a national audience, I think. So if you throw this on top of it, it, it makes right. it even more dramatic. 
And I and we've talked about how they're going to do it. And I, I I still say the way I would do it is I would sort of do like a the camera facing Helena's uh, like Helena's eyes. Yeah. Right. And you so and you just makes it even more gut wrenching. I think I think it will be more impactful than the red wedding because the red wedding was really just all of our favorite characters died and you're just like what it's like a huge shift but it was like you know i mean it makes a lot of sense this is just like downright evil yeah i pretty, mean there's just there's just no way around it yeah it's it's pretty ruthless i think the the red wedding is very iconic because uh you really hadn't seen anything happen in the fantasy genre to that level and you could even point to television, like if we go into television, like away from the book in television, not many shows, if any, at that point had killed off like, you know, a third, almost like 40 percent right. of their cast. I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, for for the main characters. Um, so I do think like the Red Wedding stays extremely notable for its place in history, especially in uh, in the fantasy genre and books. But uh, this you don't see coming because it's just, it's just uh diabolical. There's not yeah. there. You know, Rob makes a lot of really bad mistakes. And when you look at the way it all turns out, you, you can see how it got there, but with blood and cheese, it's just one mishap after the next in house of the dragon of miscommunications and people saying the wrong thing at the wrong time or being too proud. And then this is like an escalation rather than like in the red wedding where it's actually almost a de-escalation because it ends the war. Right. This right. actually makes the war worse in House of the right. Dragon. So it, it's interesting because they're really pivotal moments in the Song of Ice and Fire lore, but they actually are kind of polar opposites in what they uh, what happens after. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be huge. So the other one I sort of had that I find really interesting was Bran is watching through the Weirwoods. Yeah. And. It's just because whether the real thing is if Bran actually does something to influence mm -hmm. an event. Like even you go back to the scene of the Tower of Joy where Ned Stark sort of turns as if he heard something. Like even something yeah. that small means Bran still influenced it. Yeah, it does. You know, somehow. Does the dagger. I, I, here's my theory is that the dagger ending up in the main show will be a result of an action that Bran influences. Right. That's my guess. And I don't know if it's going to necessarily be the brand actor popping out and going, hey, <laughs> you know, put right, that the bush yeah. over there. I think it might but be as simple as like little, You see this like wheelchair like <laughs> pop out over the back of the like, roll. Like, God back. damn, they didn't have ramps back now, back then? What the hell? Uh, so <laughs> He's just stuck on the steps. Just <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it'll probably be something a little bit less than that. It'll be a whisper, like you said, or, or some sort of sign message in the fire right before Mil Allison becomes Melisandre. Uh, <laughs> but right. I, I, I do think that there has to be some connection. The werewolves aren't even supposed to be in King's Landing like that. That doesn't make sense for the book canon. So the fact that they were placed there, it could just be a prop, but it is on that. So many pivotal conversations happen right in front of the werewolves. They're within the shot. It feels like the werewolf is going to have some sort of connection with, you know, Blood Raven looking back or Bran or somebody. I don't know if they'll have an on-screen appearance per se, but I do think that the werewolves matter. I hope they yes. matter, actually. Yes, I do. I do as well. So awesome. All right, guys. Well, with that, thank you guys for hanging out and doing all this big iceberg uh, madness. theories, uh, madness with this. Yeah. So I'm going to put all these together into a 
so to be part three as well as another podcast where you can listen to just the whole thing uh if you want to go back through and dive into that and then obviously now we're beginning the new year we're going to be diving back into a storm of swords and we've got some other fun things coming as well have some guests we're going to be bringing back on a lot of fun and have a ton of ravens you guys have been sending us a huge amount of ravens really appreciate it it is so much fun to keep diving into all of those so with that as always thank you for watching thank you for listening and remember that winter is coming